Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, my guest is author Nicole Eisener. We'll talk about her creative and beautiful vampire novel, Beguiled by Night, the resurgence of horror as a genre, and a cool upcoming project she has in store with author Beverly Lee. If you want to support the podcast, visit the She Wore Black bookstore on bookshop.org. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books that you look for in the search option, will support the cost that goes into the show production, as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks for joining us today. Now, on to the show. Hey, Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you today because you have probably the most beautiful book cover I have seen in a decade, <laughs> and Thank but also so the content of what's inside really matches the cover. It's a gorgeous book you have here, Beguiled by Night. So, so I, much. yeah, yeah, I, I wanted to um, talk to you today because I am so intrigued by the unique take that you've done with your vampire story. I love, you know, a lot of the same tropes and you definitely have some great vampire tropes that we have to have in order to fully enjoy a vampire story. <laughs> but <laughs> you've also done something really different with, with your story and um, that we're going and looking, we're going backwards in time with him. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and, and how that developed? Well, um, you know, everybody knows there are thousands of vampire stories out in the world and people love vampires um, and rightfully so. They're fascinating characters and they can vary so much, you know, depending on the perspective of the author and the imagination of the author. And it's such a wide open category, um, maybe especially compared to other types of monsters, if you will. Right. But um I personally prefer the more traditional kind of vampire. And I've studied a lot of vampire lore. And, you know, my wheelhouse for vampires comes from the Dracula. Yes. Lore, I guess. Um, I, I love the elegant, seductive mysterious vampire you know and and I also love vampires that kind of stick to what we collectively know as vampires you know they they don't right. go out in the daytime they don't eat human food um they have to survive on blood yeah and I think just this is just for me personally because I know that people have appreciations for all the different types of vampires that exist in literature and films. But, um, you know, it, it means something more to me when there's those added layers of mystery around them, because when you strip yes. those things away, they don't seem as interesting. Like vampires being able to walk around in the daytime, it, it makes them even more like humans. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I wanted to keep it more in that realm with the, with the darkness and also to explore what it truly would mean to be a creature like that, you know, in terms of the isolation and 
solitude that comes along with that by nature of your character. Yeah, I really liked, like I said, you have some of those like classic trips that I love about the isolation and the feeling of loneliness or being haunted Mm -hmm. by this life. You know, those are the things I, I really enjoy about a good vampire story. Yes. I love a good comedy, like uh, what we do in the shadows, you know, because I I love those. Yeah. 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 You sort of take that with the, you know, the intended grain of salt. But what I love about this is that you know, um, you have this gorgeous cover and I feel like it's absolutely matches the content. You know, it's this beautiful classical, you know, story at the same time that I really enjoyed just sort of the unique, like you still brought something new to the table to, you know, as a reader, it was just really, why should I pick up another, this vampire story? How is the story different from other vampire stories that use this trope? And you've really done something different here. And I like to start letting readers know that one of the things that I found really intriguing is we dive right in from the beginning with him selling off his wardrobe that he's had for centuries and he knows that it's time it's this is such a human thing you know you need to get rid of it but you're sentimental and so I thought that was really interesting because this monster is sentimental so there's this element like it's still he's still a vampire he's still a monster but there's this extra layer and what I really liked about that is we get that as our introduction to him, we dive right in right away with this sophisticated character sketch of who he is, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it was, um, it was important to me. That, I'll go back and say that um, I've, I've been asked this question before, and it's, it's always something that's really interesting to me, which is, was the vampire vocal limp? Was he a completely fleshed out character from the beginning or did it happen as the book progressed? Oh, you mean creatively? Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And he, I've, I've been enamored with vampires my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so in a way he was fully fleshed out in that he became my personal like archetypal vampire the perfect vampire in my book, you know? And I mean, literally and figuratively, I guess. (laughs) But um, he, it was important for me to show him as more than just a a killing machine, you know, because I, I don't find that quite as interesting. I mean, it's expected that vampires are going to be violent creatures and they're monsters, right. but in, again, in comparison to other monster tropes or types of monsters, they do tend to have more of a human aspect to them, especially because they were human at one point. Right. And that struggle with reconciling those two worlds is fascinating to me. And so I really wanted to show what he was like as a person, not just as a vampire. Yeah. And so those character aspects of him being, he's very sentimental, you know. Um, I, I thought that was so intriguing. I don't usually see sentimentality, especially from the beginning, you know. Yeah. 
And so I think sort of starting it in the middle of something um, allows you to see what he's like as a character, like you said, right away. Mm-hmm. Um, those things don't come later. They kind of just escalate. Right. <laughs> well, and the, is this how you arrived at the concept of going backwards in time with him? Well, it, the whole concept actually came after watching a vampire film and I don't remember which one. I really wish I did. <laughs> it was it was a moment yeah. with a capital M because afterwards my husband and I were discussing the film and just out of the blue, I was like, wouldn't it be interesting if instead of seeing a vampire that had been alive for you know X numbers of years into the future, he went backwards in time and we were both like wow that sounds really good yeah yeah. I mean that's where it came from it was like what would that be like and how would how would he react to that you know because he's not even just reflecting that's what gets me though you have him literally going backwards through time like piece by piece not even like through a a time warp that's just lands him a couple hundred years ago he's like gradually going backwards yes it's like his pages are just start turning backwards that's amazing and um you know I I have to think that just from the romantic side of a a vampire that I think that nostalgia would be a huge part of their existence because you know even like I I just turned 50 this year yeah and I'm like super nostalgic recently I I'm I I'm right behind you I'm 48 and I feel yeah. like there was a an Eddie Vedder some quick side note an Eddie Vedder audiobook that came out where he's reflecting on on the last couple of decades as the singer of Pearl Jam and how he got there and everything and I just my nostalgia I might drown in nostalgia I wouldn't make it as a vampire <laughs> yeah I mean I think it would be so hard and it's like yes. I've always kind of been a, a nostalgic person and also I've also been described as an old soul ever since I was little, you know, people would come up to my mother and be like, where did she come from? Because she's not from this time. Right. <laughs> I always liked old things, even things I was never around. It was really strange, but I, you know, I, I find myself, especially at this stage of my life, looking back on how things were, you know, mm-hmm. when I was younger and growing up. And kind of missing that, you know, the way things are changing so much now. And um, I think if you if you had been alive for hundreds of years, imagine all of the things that you would feel nostalgic about. Yeah, you know? I would. I wouldn't you, make it. I I would drown oh. in my own nostalgia for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, and like watching things change yes. before your eyes. Because I mean, I I think we all know that like as you get older. Um, something that you were probably told when you were young was just wait till you get older because time just flies by. Right. And that's very true. And so I think it feels that way for a vampire too. You know, at some point time begins to go really quickly. Yeah. And so it, it's harder maybe to adapt to those changes. And so, you know, there are things in the book where he he can't release certain things like he still writes with a quill for example 
there's things that he can't let go of because he feels those things are better than the options that he has now right and I get that (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so those kinds of things I think just define him as a person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. above and beyond his identity as a vampire so you have some beautiful nuggets throughout the story um, that speak to exactly what you just said that talk about or can speak to him as a person not just as a vampire because he was a person before he was a monster mm-hmm. and so there's a quote in here if you don't mind me diving in there that I, it's it's like midway through the book and he has um, he's been at a club, he's encountered a goth girl who um, wants to be turned into a vampire. She's just sort of enamored by the whole idea of who he is. And, um, it, you know, it doesn't work out. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, something goes horribly wrong. Something goes terribly, terribly wrong um, for both of them, not just for her or for him. It's for both of them. And one of the things that he said, or you write in here, is that there laid out before him in revolting technicolor was the hideous reality of being a vampire. And I just thought that was like a really profound statement for a vamp, not for a vampire novel, as in, I don't mean that like vampire novels can't be profound. I just mean like for the vampire himself. Like, I think that that was a really profound statement Um, because I think Anne Rice sort of did this a little bit. When you get accustomed to doing the same sort of thing, you kind of lose the attachment. So it would be sort of like a person who has to partake in in the killing of an animal they're about to eat and they're unaccustomed to that. Maybe they're used to seeing their fish as a a, a rectangle (laughs) that's served to them instead of catching it, getting it seeing it flap until it dies, you know, the whole thing, I felt like it was a similar sort of thing, you know, where, where he's confronted with what, what his meal is. Right. Yeah. Because I, I think it's pretty clear that he doesn't exactly enjoy killing people. I mean, sometimes he does, you know, clearly sometimes he does, but overall, it's not exactly something that he, relishes per se sure. but um you know it, it was a pivotal moment in the in his story and it changed a lot of things for him after that which I won't spoil yeah I know <laughs> but, I did I, I didn't want to get too spoilery but it was just such a, a an example I guess of a, of something that I think you just do really well with, like I said, right at the very beginning, we dive into him as a character um, that's deeper than what a typical monster would be expected to be. And then uh, we just continue to see that throughout the novel. You know, it's like another layer being peeled away that gets us into who he is, even though right from the beginning, we see already that he's something more. So congratulations on accomplishing that. (laughs) That's not easy. It's not easy on, on, on a character uh, on a vampire, which is something, like I said, you know, there's so many novels out there that feature vampires, but I just think that these are things that make your book special. So much. I really, really appreciate that. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting that you're, that you are 
delving into his character so much because to me that is the core of the book like I've, I've gotten different reactions from it in some people um refer to it as a romance which I don't I don't see it as a romance book because I mean there are romantic subplots for sure, sure. but I see that more as um life you know because right. it, it's the book isn't really focused on the romance it's like it's part of his character development really I mean ultimately the book is just about him and how he changes and how these experiences affect him it's and, always interesting what a reader brings to the table isn't it yeah it is <laughs> it's separate it, it, from it what you is. set out to do in a way yeah yeah and you know also um it's horror also is a, a problematic genre sometimes i mean this book is like it's really difficult to categorize i think mm -hmm. which has been problematic on a, on a number of occasions but you know it's it definitely has some scenes that are horror sure you know, i think unequivocal unequivocally horror and so you know i think it's interesting then when people try to put books in one box because most books don't actually fit in a single box um i was a librarian and i was a bookseller before that you know for decades i, I mean these are the two things i did um and you know bookstores put books by genre and like when I was a librarian, it was very innovative at the time, congratulations to me, but I was really copying other more innovative librarians, um, where in like the very early 2000s, I started breaking out my library fiction section into genre because I'm like, first of all, a nonfiction section's broken out that way. And second of all, a bookstore is after a bottom line. So I'm thinking in terms of the user, because the, the kids would always say, um, well, where's the horror? Where is, the, you know, so I broke out my fiction section and it's amazing how that really helped circulation but what was difficult about it was that so many books could really be put in one place or the other and so sometimes we would have to kind of go well what what is the bigger element here and sometimes again that was just like there are a lot of people that would for example write paranormal romance and you're like well it's both equally <laughs> you know? yeah, so, um, yeah. so I just yeah. I find that interesting whenever I mean let, let if we're going to talk about um you know like cross genre we mentioned I mentioned earlier what we do in the shadows I mean that's gothic and it's comedy you know there's and yeah. it's both equally you know, it's, it's just interesting that people do yeah, that. And, you know, in a way it's, I, I think so when I was younger and I was a, a library hound, I mean, I was in there like <laughs> multiple times a week, but we did, you know, our libraries, when I was growing up, they didn't have fiction separated. It was all fiction. Yeah. And I think I discovered a lot of books that way uh -huh. that maybe I wouldn't have sought out like a particular genre. Right. You know? And so in a way, um, like The God by Night is classified as a horror novel. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it belongs there for sure, but it's also other things, you know, it's historical right. fiction. It's, um, 
I mean, if you wanted to put it in romance, I guess you could, but I think romance readers might be disappointed if they read this book because it's not, it's not written in. Well, and we have to be careful about that. You know, that's the thing It's like, um, with romance, the expectation is the happily ever after. And without that, it's not a romance so that you get people calling love actually a romance film, but those, those stories don't end well. (laughs) I've never understood why people, you know, respond to it in that way. Um, you know, and, and they do this with Nicholas Sparks, who is not a romance writer, you know, he, they die. (laughs) You're not supposed (laughs) to die for happily ever after. So people, you know, I am all about, like, if you are identifying, you know, and not just you, but like anyone, you, a second person, you, uh, you know, if, if you're writing, and you're writing with the expectation of like, I'm going to write a horror and here's the things that our readers of horror are going to expect. I'm going to make sure those elements are there. Then, you know, absolutely, you know, that is its category. But sometimes people will pull a book and, or like I said, a story and name it something else. And I just think that's interesting, the reader response. It is. I mean, at, at my local library, they shelve um, the Outlander series in science fiction, hmm. which, which I think is an super element, odd. but it's not the the main element. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's to me, it's historical fiction, right? With a because I I love those books, but yes. it's um, historical fiction with um, you know a paranormal twist, maybe. Right. Um, science fiction and horror to me are very problematic categories. If you want to assign those type or those genres to specific books, I think it's very problematic because it's, it's so broad. I mean, there can be so many things. I mean, science fiction can be, you know, space opera, or it can be, you know, uh, there's so many, I mean, there's so many, I can't, think of all the conventions right now but then the same with horror I mean you've got body horror cosmic horror um slasher vampires werewolves I mean right right, you know, right, right. and well I mean I would break it down really easily for my students and you know yes there's always going to be exceptions to everything but I would basically say with horror you know the idea is that you know you beat the monster um in science fiction there's usually an element of technology or or you know, space travel or something like that. And with mystery, you solve the crime with suspense, you are chasing, you know, (laughs) it's, there's different, there's different, like I would break it down in in the barest possible way just to kind of help them out a little bit. You know, they're, they're kind of, they're discovering books. So it's just, it's a little bit different when you're, you've got discovering readers. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I don't know what the solution to this is, but it's, it's like, again, to refer to Outlander, putting it in science fiction, people who are looking for historical fiction might completely miss that Mm. series because they don't read science fiction, you know, because people have these preconceptions about genre. Right. So people will say um, horror and they're like, oh, I, I hate horror books. I've really discovered, I was too afraid to, to read quote unquote horror, but I wasn't at the same time when I was little, I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that so much of what I was attracted to was actually horror, but I had always been under the impression I would be too afraid 
to read, but I, you know, I went to Catholic school. So like every single day, you know, we were learning about what saint or martyr met this horrible demise. <laughs> and we were all like, yes, tell us more. <laughs> it, was, it was like story hour and, and we wanted it all, all the time. And um, you might've appreciated, my grandmother worked in the rectory because there's always a church attached to a Catholic school. And so my grandmother worked in the rectory where the priests lived and where the church office was. And I would have to wait for her to, she would take me home and I'm sitting there in the rectory. And I don't know if it's meant to make us penitent for things we haven't confessed yet, but they had that Salvador Dali image of the crucifixion wow it was so cool well and then you're sitting there like that on the bench waiting (laughs) just I mean the fact that I stared at that for years should tell a lot of information (laughs) to people (laughs) about me and who I am because I was terrified and intrigued and I kind of looked forward to that being a little bit scared every day if that makes any sense. And I, so I didn't realize how much I was interested, you know, and then there was some stories that came out when we were kids. I mean, you know, you and I are Gen X. So we also remember all of those films that came out in the seventies and eighties that were really scary. And HBO was playing poltergeist on a loop. So I mean, I mean, yeah. how many times did we all watch that? You know, things like that. Oh yeah. I watched the exorcist while I was babysitting one night. Oh, sure. As I you do. Like scared the crap out of myself, you know, I guess and- it wasn't Rosemary's baby. So maybe, you know, you were, <laughs> that was a win. That would have been probably more disturbing. But when I was 10, I, I, I think part of the allure of horror too is like a, a dive into the taboo mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. So when I was 10, my mother read a lot of true crime oh books yeah. and I was not supposed to touch them. Like she, cause she was all for me reading and she would take me to the library and get me as many books as I wanted and take me back again. If I finished them right. all, which was great. She was very into reading, but I wasn't supposed to read certain books that she had. Mm-hmm. So of course, those are the most interesting ones to me. So yeah. when I was 10, I secretly read the Executioner's Song by Norman Mailer. I don't know how you did that in secret because like, you were probably walking around going, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I was like, you know, um, the world looks really different now. <laughs> and, um, in a sense lost. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But I was kind of like, I need to get some more of that, you know, so I was always sneaking around and reading books I wasn't supposed to be reading. And um, yeah, that was sealed at a really early age. That's funny you say that because earlier this this year, I read that Grady Hendrix, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Mm -hmm. Vampires, and those women are all reading true crime. And they would have been about your mother's age, I guess. So it's just kind of funny to hear you say that because it's also a vampire novel. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like, I think a lot of times people won't cop to reading horror or liking it, but it's kind of human nature to be attracted to those things that go bump in the night. I'm know? very pleased that it's kind of come back around, if you will, mm-hmm. because I, you know, Barnes and Noble has broken it back out into a section where people can go because yes. I mean, the, you know, while we all 
you know, want to learn to, or find introductions into new things. I, I do, you know, I think it's okay for people to also go, well, here's my comfort zone of what I want to read mm-hmm. and, and go find what that is. And I also think it's a recognition of, of its fan base. You know, it's finally acknowledging that, you know, the fans are out there and that's what they're wanting. So, and we're seeing a lot of really good horror coming out. it's like it's like a renaissance of horror and it's also like this is the era of indie horror and it's a lot of crossover too magical yes a lot of crossover appeal too so people that you know might not otherwise have picked up either mexican gothic or you know the only good indians or you know there's so many people that that are crossing over and and discovering all the really wonderful things that are in that that genre really yeah i mean i i really feel there's a renaissance happening right now with horror and it's it's super exciting to watch and you know too like see seeing stores like barnes and noble like having sections um that's reassuring you know yeah because i mean halloween seems to just be growing in popularity every year and people decorating is growing in popularity and i mean there's a huge market for that obviously and you know sadly it's always the dollar signs that drive availability (laughs) of these things but hey i'm not complaining because the more it's out there it's just better for everybody well you Um, mentioned being an indie author which you are mm -hmm. um so do you want to kind of talk about your experience with with what it's like being an indie author of horror sure yeah i'd love to because um i i started off on and this this is kind of a spin-off of what we were talking about with genres earlier Mm -hmm. i started off um my path with the god by night like trying to go the traditional route yeah and it was so difficult to pin down what type of book this is. I so see. again, back to the genre thing. And it seemed that a lot of agents were very open about wanting cross genre books. Right. But the thing is, I'm not really sure they want that in the end, because it is too hard to pigeonhole from a marketing perspective. Right. And um, ultimately, I decided to go indie, because at that point, I did not have to be concerned about the book being sold or not sold, or having a cover that I didn't like. It's gorgeous. Oh my gosh, you scored (laughs) on the cover front. (laughs) Thank you so much. But, you know, essentially there's a lot of trade-off with being an indie author versus a traditionally published author. Mm -hmm. I mean, as an indie, you have a lot more creative control over the content and and the visual of the book. Mm -hmm. But you, you trade a lot of freedom for exposure sure and for resources that traditionally published authors have um so you have to work a lot harder and it takes a lot longer to find your audience but um for me it's been the absolute best path i'm kind of a rebel personality anyway (laughs) i've never really um 
subscribe to the norms of society. Uh-huh. So it only made sense for me to just take my book there. I, I wanted it to be out in the world versus languishing in Sure, because it does take a long time. Yeah, languishing in slush piles or just being passed over, which it was passed over a lot. Yeah. And that's fine. I just felt like I, it was time for me to take control of the text if I wanted it to get out into the world. And so I, I just, I halted all my queries and I withdrew everything and I decided to go indie and I love it. And honestly, I don't know if I would ever even entertain like the right. traditional route at this point. A lot of authors who have been traditional have also just stopped and have gone indie you know, after being traditional for a little while, because of some of the things that you have said as well. Yeah. I mean, the publishing world has always been difficult. I mean, for so many years, it was such an ivory tower sort of institution. And, you know, with recent developments, like with Ingram Spark and Amazon KDP and other areas and lots of indie presses and small presses, it's becoming a lot more open. And the funny thing to me is that for decades, indie film, indie music, they've been completely normal. And indies put both of those industries on watch. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. These big gatekeeper controllers of the film and music world were kind of like, whoa, these people are selling like millions of things and they didn't even need us. Right. Right. But books came to that much later, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and now it's, it seems like it is that time. Yeah. Like, um, well, and social media really helps. Call, it does. Yeah. So it helps but, you have direct contact with your, with your fan base. So yes, which is wonderful. You know, it's, it's great. I mean, I love it when people reach out and, you know, and get messages from time to time saying, oh, and that just, it it just sends me over the moon because you know I love being accessible. I I want to be accessible. Well, speaking of accessibility, I will have links in the show notes. Um, do you still have signed copies available for your fans? Okay, so I'll put a link in the show notes for people to get that because even if you have this as an ebook, guys, you really do want to make sure to get this gorgeous, gorgeous copy of the book. And I'm so excited to have it in my collection. And it's so pretty. I just put it facing out <laughs> on my shelves. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. That. And then you get a bookmark, you get all these little treats. It was wonderful. So um, you have a new project in the works with somebody else. Um, do you want to tell us about that Ooh. quickly? Because we're going to have you both on a little bit later. Um, Super excited about that. Uh, yeah. So um, one of my all-time favorite vampire books slash series is The Making of Gabriel Davenport, which is uh, that title, Shining in the Shadows and the Purity of Crimson. And Beverly Lee, who's the author of those books, she she and I have a very similar worldview mm-hmm. for, for our vampires. And um, we, we've been friends and we were interviewed f- for Nightworms. Co- we did a co-interview okay. for Beguiled by Night's um, one-year anniversary in October. And while we were working on this interview, um, 
Beverly came up with the idea. Um, what if our vampires interviewed each other? That's amazing. <laughs> and maybe we could tack this on like to the end of our interview, just a quick little thing, you know, just a yeah. little quick meeting of our vampires. And so we were both super excited about that. So we started working on that and it became a thing with a capital T. I mean, it was like, it was so cool writing this with Beverly because we would basically write a section, pass it off to the other back and forth, back and forth. And it just, it was refusing to be a little anecdote or a, or a trinket. So it became a thing. And uh, now it's a novelette. And so we're going to be giving this story away to our readers um, in December. We'll put that information in the show notes too. So just pass that my way and then the, you know, sure. listeners can go to the link. Yeah, we're still finalizing some things. Um, but yeah, it's super exciting. And uh, we both learned things about our characters more from writing this together. And it was so just absolutely magical. I mean, it was kind of meant to be. So I love the uh, idea of you passing it back and forth, like Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett did with Good Omens. <laughs> it was so cool. I mean, both of us said, you know, later when we were talking about it, we were like, I can't believe you said that. I just didn't even know how to react, you know, and so it was kind of forcing our characters into these reactions that writing them individually, we might not have encountered. So it was completely fascinating. Fantastic. It. I cannot yeah. for that. So, <laughs> oh, it's, it's so fun, but, um, but yeah, I will never stop, um, recommending Beverly Lee's the making of Gabriel Davenport series. It's so wonderful. It's just, okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to put that in the show notes too, like links to her books as well. So, it, you know, if you're going to talk it up that much, I think people are going to be so excited and I, I'm already excited so that I can also get kind of a background on the character she's bringing to the table with that story too. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it, it is a little spoilery. So we're recommending it for people who've read both know, all the books because, um, you know, we don't okay. want to give anything. Um, I really, really appreciate all of your time today. Thank you so much. And I look forward to having a joy to talk to you. I mean, had such a good time. Oh, that makes me so happy. And I cannot wait to have you back with Beverly. Oh, we're definitely super excited about that. We haven't, uh, talked about it together publicly yet. So that's going to be really fun. Stay tuned everybody. Cause she's coming back. So <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about your podcast and I can't wait Aww. to hear your other episodes. Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at www.sheworeblackpodcast.com. We have some great guests coming your way, including author interviews, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Thanks again for joining us.